It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Perfect. All right, here we go. We're back. Um, the Unsuckable Podcast. This would be a good one today. Um, I'm your host, Manuel Fede, and yeah, once again, joined by the fire starter, Filippo. Um, always busy on Twitter, always starting wars, always involving poor Josh, and maybe introducing both Filippo and Josh at the same time today. Filippo, Josh, how are you two doing? And please, 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 please stop the war on Twitter. I'm doing fine, Manuel, and I I know you guys are going to censor me later today. Apparently, there's a section of today's podcast that we're going to talk about Eustachio, which is a player that I think is very good, by the way. But since I'm in a podcast with three Canadians and one Americans, I have been censored, and I'm not allowed. You were the one that said that has to leave early. I just want to make clear that, and if you're still around, you're obviously allowed to get your input. Yes, but don't forget one thing. You guys put him as the last section on pro. Anyhow, hopefully I can stay around for Eustachio. You know, he's a player I love to talk about. One of the best players in Canada, but also one of the most overrated players by the Canadians. But I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to today's episode. So he's essentially like any North American player then. Pretty or, or any Mexican player, but yeah. Yeah, that's North America. Yeah, Josh, how are you doing? And explain to yourself, how are you feeling? And uh, I, you sounded a little frustrated about being constantly tacked. Yeah, I'm doing good today, but it's just what Filippo does. Just to give everyone a little little background. I mean, he, I'm sitting there very peacefully, very not being rude, just typical Josh. And then he goes out of his way to trip Canada, tag me, knowing that I'm going to respond. I respond, and then 50 other U.S. men's national team accounts just yelling 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 and then my phone's blowing up for two hours and Filippo just sitting there in the background does not face him so you know um took a shot at you You use Greg you use Greg as an argument that's that's just a dirty move to use Greg Berhalter guys behave stop this this, you guys need to behave (laughs) um and then that because you guys need to behave I'm going to bring the only other mature person other than me into the show and that's Adrian (laughs) yes (laughs) Incredibly mature. Yeah, I mean, I, I see it going on I, and I just sit on the sidelines. I'm similar to Filippo, except I have no involvement. I just sit on the sidelines and watch the whole timeline burn. But uh, no, it's fun. I enjoy it. I'm, I'm happy to not be involved in those kinds of things. The one or two times that I have dipped my toes into the whole, you know, let's just call it CONCACAF Twitter I immediately regretted it, so I'm uh, I'm happy to stay on the sidelines. And Filippo, that is not an invitation to start inviting me into these discussions. Oh, no. What have you done? Um, let's just start with topics. We're actually all friends. Um, 
<laughs> Twitter sometimes suggests otherwise. This should be an interesting one. And um, actually, Filippo, you kind of brought up this question on Twitter. So this was actually one of your useful takes. And I, first of all, congrats. Well done. And second, um, and it's an interesting one because it is an accusation that we have seen um, on social media, especially with the latest transfers, that people are saying Americans are only getting signed for marketing purposes. And what is actually really fascinating, I think one of the guys um, who, was, who was one of the biggest marketing successes for any team that I remember in recent history is when Chicharito joined Bayer Leverkusen, um, where they gained 20,000 followers on, on Facebook, 200,000 followers on Twitter, um, and several thousand people on Instagram overnight. And then they went on a bunch of US tours because like, the matter of fact is that the most popular team in the United States is the Mexican national team, you know, period. They're the most popular sports team, period. Um, so that's an interesting one to really take a look at, isn't it, Filippo? Because like marketing reason, marketings, I think, does play a little bit of a role. Um, but it doesn't only just impact U.S. players. It also impacts Mexicans or Canadians or any other nationality. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think when a club makes a signing and he pays millions and millions of dollars or euros or whatever for a player, they take into account the quality of the player. They take into account how much they can market that player to recover that money or, or return of investment. There's always marketing behind it. People think soccer is just a sport like we play on Pickup Sunday, right? That we only look into the quality of the players and that's all it is on selection and playing. But these, this is a business. So any signing has marketing purposes, whether it is to grow the club's social media presence, whether it is to sell more jerseys. And obviously, one thing to make money is to win trophies, right? But the, the, the thing is, winning trophies and winning games is not the only source of income for a club, right? They have the source of income of filling up stadiums. Will that player coming will fill up stadiums? Do we want to dive into the American market where we can sell jerseys? The Mexican market, like you said, it's a rich market in very popular, the most popular sport of that country, Brazil. So absolutely any, not any signing, but most signings have a marketing um, tool or, or goal from it, but it's not the only reason. I believe they do look into quality as well. And again, uh, we saw it this week as well with Tecatito, right? He went to Sevilla, and I do think it was a great signing, especially paying just three million for him, right? Three million euros—that was a bargain to get Tecatito for that value. But we saw how Sevilla was trying to market to the Mexicans, um, whether there are the Mexicans in the U.S., Mexicans at Mexico, or abroad, wherever it is. That was one of the goals from Sevilla, and it was quite clear. And that's what you mentioned that I pointed out, and. And then you came in and point out the Chicharito to Bayern Leverkusen. But Adrian, what's up? I mean, I was just going to add further uh, further proof of concept to what you were saying, because this is something that we saw happen all the time, especially it seems you see the biggest impact or maybe not the biggest impact, but a huge impact when a player like a James Rodriguez, for example, and his sort of tour that he took around Europe and how with every club he went to, whether even it was in Everton as well. You would seek Everton kits all over Colombia. Same with Alexis Sanchez, you know, a hero back in Chile when he went to United, when he was at Arsenal, when he's at Barcelona, wherever, those jersey sales would just explode in that nation. And so while it is often used as, you know, 
some people say, oh, they're only doing this to grow their market presence in a certain country, which is absolutely true. Like you were saying, the the ability of the player has to be there as well, because we've seen it happen and sort of have the, not the inverse effect, but we've seen Manchester United, for example, signing players. Um, I think it was from China. Um, and, you know, he never saw the light of day and it didn't really have any impact or at least not much impact on what was going on as far as, you know, sales and really growing that market in China. Um, so I think that there's definitely a fine balance between, you know, not just any player that you can take from from uh, from a certain country and expect that market to grow. It has to be that sort of balance between their notoriety, where they are from and their ability. Yeah, the only thing that bothers me is when they say that the signing is only for marketing purposes. I, I, I never deny that a lot of Americans are signed due to marketing reasons, but the club also sought some type of quality to, to think they'll add some value to the squad. Maybe the marketing does bump up the transfer fee. It does bump it up a little bit or quite a bit at times. But I, I, I don't think the Americans... Mexican players, Canadian players, English players. I don't think any of them are being signed only for marketing purposes. There's quality there as well. And we're seeing it in the field. These players are not scrub players. They're good players as well. Yeah, I'm just going to toss just a quick two cents in because I, I, I really do like this conversation, but I, I noticed that it can be can be a touchy one. Um, but at the end of the day, these, these clubs, they're a business. So if you're looking to target a player uh, locally, that is about as talented as one from, from the U.S., Mexico, why not look at what it did? And I love that Manuel used Leverkusen as an example. So if you're, because like I agree, Filippo, they're not going out there specifically to buy players that aren't good. They're going to try to get someone who fits the profile. But I'm, I'm starting to think a lot of these clubs would want to lean towards where the market, where the interest is in, in the U.S., Mexico, bring that. And if you're, if you're able to do it, instead of going for that, that local guy who, okay, good player, but isn't going to bring anything else or gain a huge social media presence, a lot of hype like Leverkusen did who's signing Chicharito. And even, I mean, the Galaxy did that too. And Chicharito went in there. I mean, I think you guys know the stats more than I did, but the the jersey sales alone were just incredible. So it, it's a very interesting uh, little, I guess, segment, new new way into the, how football is because it absolutely is a business. And, and a lot of these clubs are looking to capitalize on it. Yeah, and Chicharito was really interesting because it's actually his impact on the U.S. market is almost bigger than on the Mexican market. It's the same with almost any Mexican player because at the end of the day, um, you know, as I said earlier, the, the Mexican national team is the most popular team in the United States because of the amount of Mexicans that live in the United States. Um, I think it's 30, 35 million Mexicans that live in America. Um, and that's a, that's a sizable number, right? And they're, for the most part, they're football fans. So active football fans and consuming football fans and um us the us market is therefore um signing a mexican is actually a very good way to target the us market and interestingly enough and um, that's i think also why la galaxy went for Chicharito because you know southern california um is is a big one um in terms of um what you um what you can achieve um, in terms of media impact, if you sign someone like Chicharito. Um, so I think that's an interesting one, but I actually did put this question at one point to, um, to a boss, a club boss, and asking him um, whether or not signing a player of a certain nationality is actually something that they do as a targeted approach to conquer a market. And um, 
what I was told at the time is that first and foremost, a club will always try to achieve his their their um, their success on the field. So a player will always be signed with success on the field on the mind. Then he said, but there comes the big but. Um, of course, if a player also brings in certain marketing variabilities, then um, they will also they will also look at that as a factor as well, uh, which is sort of what feeds into what Josh said, right? The, the marketing aspect of things. And I think um, you always have to be careful when you accuse certain nationalities to be born only because they have they sell soccer jerseys um, because your own nationality might be doing the same thing, um, which is, I think, something very, very interesting about this conversation. Um, so yeah, that's my, my two cents about it. I, I think... You see, you, you see it as a factor. Um, I don't think it is as big of a market value impact as people think. This is like from from where I'm sitting working for Transfermarkt. Um, you know, I th- we we adjust our market values based on. And Filippo, you're going to have a great video on that where I discuss this in more detail. So I don't want to give away too much about it. But there's a video coming out that the two of us have done where we explain this into more depth. Um, but I think um, it's really just a reaction of how the market does to certain transfers rather than the marketing impact as well, which of course can play into this. Um, guys, I want to move on and uh, talk about, speaking about overpaying and uh, market values, what do you guys make of this wood transfer from Barnley to Newcastle for 30 million euros or 30 million pounds, sorry, that's just an insane amount of money. Adrian, I'm going to go to you first. What did you make of this? I was surprised. Um, I was surprised, of course, to see that kind of number associated with with Wood. Um, certainly a, a workman-like striker that's been playing at Burnley for a while now, and it just seemed like a perfect fit at Burnley. But then when you see the price tag and the club that he's going to, it does make a little bit more sense because there's absolutely, you know, everyone's going to be pumping the numbers whenever Newcastle comes talk, comes talking to them about a certain player that they have because that's just what you do when you know that a club is is minted. And they certainly are minted at the moment. Plus, it's it's always going to be it's going to be difficult for Newcastle, I feel like, because it, with the agents, they're going to want a bigger cup because they know that Newcastle are minted. And it's going to be hard to convince some players to go to a club that very likely could be going down by the end of this season. So when you look at Chris Wood as a player, um, you know, he has had good seasons in the Premier League previously. This one isn't his best, but then again, it isn't Burnley's best, but he does typically get into double digits for Burnley. Um, it's something that he could potentially do at Newcastle, but this Newcastle side, it's hard to understand just how they're sort of building. It's sort of a mishmash. So I don't know. It's, it's always going to be difficult for them to sign new players. And uh, I was a bit surprised you know, I was a bit surprised, and I think that if it was any other season, he wouldn't have been going there. But this just so happens to be the big takeover season, so here we are. $33 million uh, from Burnley to Newcastle. That's an insane amount of money. Filippo, I mean, his market value is $6.6 million and what are they doing? <laughs> it's just so insane. Uh, yeah, it kind of kind of ruins um, Transfermark's track record right there, just because of the nonsense, right? Uh, it's yeah, that is nonsense. Like I have yeah. to defend ourselves right there because like no one can tell me that he's worth that much money. 
I think it's I think Adrian pretty much summed it up pretty well, right? If you look at the player and the amount, it's complete nonsense, right? Thirty million pounds for Wood, it it almost makes it sound like uh, Ricardo Pepe was a bargain, right? You're paying sixteen million for Pepe, you're paying thirty million for Wood, a young promising. But regardless of that, it's it's going back to what Adrian said is. Newcastle will have to overpay to bring players, and it's also going to be hard for them, especially this season, right? Maybe next season, a fresh start, new signings, things can change. But the fact that they could be in the championship next season, we're heading to a World Cup year, right? No players are going to want to be, no top players are going to want to be playing in the English second division. So they're going to have to overpay this window just to try to stay in the Premier League. Then over the summer, if a fresh start, in the Premier League, if they still are by then, maybe they can pay a little bit less. But at the same time, it's it's what Adrian was saying, just to back what he was saying once again. <laughs> agents are going to want more money. Clubs know they're loaded, know they're desperate. They're going to overpay. There, there's no way around, it, at least for a foreseeable future. And we, I think a few, almost a decade ago, more than a decade ago, we saw that a little bit in the beginning of the Manchester City oil money era. Right, remember that when they were overpaying for players like Joe, Robinho, Elano, De Jong. Yeah, remember that. So I think Newcastle, as long as they can stay in the Premier League, I think they're going to see a phase like Manchester City had in the beginning, and then eventually you start to be able to get things going. Maybe or maybe not. Who cares? I honestly don't care about Newcastle. So that that, that those are my thoughts on it. Um, I'm interested to see what, what Josh has to say as well. But I think once we let Adrian speak first, he pretty much summarized everything. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I went on Twitter because I was just so flabbergasted by it. By it. I just I just laughed. I mean, th- this to me just screams a club who got a lot of money, is looking to just, I don't know, it's not even strategic because it it to me it's a stupid purchase. It is a waste of money. Chris Wood is not that good of a striker in my opinion opinion certainly not worth spending that type of money on they're doing it because they can and they're doing it because it also hurts their direct competition in burnley and that's pretty much it because he's not worth that they're going to lose a crap ton of money on him and there's a realistic chance that he may not do anything for newcastle but the key for them is that he will also now be doing nothing for burnley so it might help them a little bit with the relegation battle because ultimately if newcastle get relegated which I'm sorry. I just I simply hope they do because I think it'd be hilarious. Uh, it would be horrible for uh, for them because they obviously are looking to put a ton of money in. They're gonna have to set them back probably a couple of years before they're looking to reinvest in what they could. But it's just crazy seeing some of some of the players that you could sign for thirty mil and then you sign Chris Wood. And I guess I'll just leave it there. <laughs> yeah, only two thirty-year-old players were more expensive than Chris Wood in the history of the game, and that's uh, Gabriel Batistuta. From Fiorentina to Roma in 2000-2001, he was 31. He cost 36.2 million. Mm-hmm. And Cristiano Ronaldo, when he signed for Juventus uh, for 117 million euros in uh, in the 2018-2019 season. So Chris Wood is the third most expensive over 30-year-old in the history of the game. Congrats. Um, I think, Josh, you summed it up quite well. With the, I think that this is a transfer where they're... Like, not looking out for themselves, but rather they're making a 30 million pound or euro or whatever uh, investment into your opponent, hurting your opponent directly, which is interesting because obviously um, you have, if you're the club that's selling the guy, you have to kind of go along with it. And I find it interesting that Burnley did go along with it. Um, I guess, 
Yeah. Leave it a dot. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone is going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. But the, the English market is crazy, guys. Um, I don't know how many of you followed this. The McGree story. And normally, you know, this, is, this would be just an, an average kind of transfer that we would probably not even talk about very much um, or talk about it at all. What I find really interesting about this deal is so Charlotte FC, a club that doesn't even play yet, doesn't even really exist other than on paper at the moment, will start their first season, of course, in a couple, in a, in, I guess in a four or five weeks. And um, in 2020, they signed this Australian kid, um, Riley McRae from Adelaide United for 590,000. And then they, because they, they're not supposed to exist for another two years, they loan him out to Birmingham where he plays on loan. And it doesn't do that much of his market value. It's sort of an average kind of like championship player, right? And then um, this season is about to kick off. We all expect him to come back and, um, you know, sort of as a 23-year-old, make his way in MLS and become, probably become a good MLS player. Only that's not how it goes down because all of a sudden all these Celtic put in a bid and Middlesbrough put in a bid. We also play in the championship and, you know, the championship is is a crazy league. Everyone in the championship spends way more money than they can afford because they all want to get out of it, right? And um, Middlesbrough, of course, are fighting for promotion. And so Middlesbrough pay $4 million flat fee and there's bonuses. The deal can go all the way up to seven. Um, for a guy that Charlotte has never used. I mean, uh, Filippo, I'm going to go to you first because like MLS is sort of like what you follow as well. But this is, I mean, good for Charlotte, right? Good job on them to make money on a player that they never used. But this is an insane piece of business in some ways. Yeah, it's a great way to start a MLS franchise, right? And any international viewer here in MLS, we call the clubs franchises because they're actually franchises and not clubs. But yeah, if we can also call them clubs. Quite an interesting way to start, right? They're already making a profit without playing one official game. And they're also selling out a 74,000 stadium for their home opener, which maybe I'll be there, by the way. If you're in Charlotte, I might be in that game. Uh, I didn't really follow through with the story very much. I just saw when you reported on it. And I, I just, I, it, it just shows how crazy just everything is right now, right? In the soccer economics uh, that's going on not in England, everywhere. So... But that's pretty much it. That's all I have to say about this topic. There's not much more to comment on. I don't know if Adrian or Josh followed through with it. Just another funny story around. 
Yeah, I find it just remarkable because it kind of shows how much money there is in the English game right now. Or well, I don't actually stop. Let me rephrase that. How much money English clubs are willing to spend, even though I know the money isn't actually there. Does that make sense to you? So it's a bubble. It's going to pop eventually. Uh, well, it has to, right? Because it's obvious that they overpaid, just like they, just like Newcastle did for Wood, and um, he's not worth that much money. But there is so much economic pressure of getting out of the Championship, which is actually like a really interesting division, right? Um, and so. Obviously, they overpaid. I mean, Josh, you like I see you raising your hand here, so go for it. But I, I, mean- I, I just I agree with you. I just think it's such a it's a fascinating um, subject because I don't think a lot of people around the world realize that the championship, like how high of a level it, it truly is. I mean, it's for sure a top ten league in the world, and a lot of them, a lot of people say it's up there, like pretty close, like better than tur- the Turkish league, which a lot of people are, are praising about. They think it's pretty close to like Russia, like it is a top tier league in the world and it's weird because it's a second division but on top of that the dog fight and, and you just got you caught my attention when you said the bubble because the dog fight to get promoted promoted slash not to get relegated um is insane and the the draw of the premier league uh says a lot and i remember years ago mitraglu who was playing for olympiacos made it to the champions league round of 16 and he decided to after, and he was a leading leading goal scorer in in the Greek league, and he decided to leave Olympiacos, leave the Champions League, and join twentieth place Fulham, where he got injured, and it was probably the worst decision of his career. They got relegated anyways, but I just think it's fascinating that even in a dogfight or even a, a promotion side team can go out and and pick a lot of very talented players out there, and then kind of turning that into the bubble, you see a lot of these teams struggle. So, for example, Sunderland down in the third division right now. Sheffield Wednesday had a huge point deduction last year down. Derby has, has a Derby's got a thing at 21 point deduction. Reading's got a six point deduction. So they put a lot of money, they overpay that they have this dogfight to try to get promotion. But when it doesn't work and you don't get that luxury of, of money of making it to the Premier League, you can severely put your club in huge financial crisis, which is why there's been people calling to try to get rid of these this four or five tier English pyramid that they have because some clubs just simply can't do it. Yeah, the championship teams on average spend 107% of their revenue on players. Um, that's a remarkable number. It's 100% not sustainable. Um, I mean, even the Premier League, where where they spend the most money on um, on players of any of the top European leagues, the number isn't that high. I think it's 64%, which is way too high, too. By the way, um, it is the, the the championship is the definition of a bubble, and but teams are doing it because they're chasing the the Premier League dream, right? They're trying to get out of it, and you see, I mean, in terms of of level, yeah, it's a very good league. I think a couple of the second divisions in Europe are very good. Um, just think of the second Bundesliga right now, for example, which is probably also a top ten or top fifteen league, um, and that's because you know the. The density of teams that you have in, in countries like England and Germany is there's so many of them, and not all can not all of them can play in the first division. I mean, you look at Middlesbrough, West Brom, Q, QPR, Blackburn; those are all teams that could easily sustain Premier League football, and they are sort of in this bottleneck and want to get out. Right? Um, we had Josh Nottingham Forest, of course, uh, signed Larea, right? Another club that has a lot of history, have won the European Cup. And they're sort of stuck in the second division and 
that creates a lot of pressure. And it's, I personally think it's a financial liability to act the way they are. Um, but you know, it's not my money in the end of the day. That's, that's just how it is. But I think this transfer in particular is interesting, not because of Charlotte, well done. I think they've done a fantastic piece of business. Um, I, I actually asked them about this and they said like, it's not how they envisioned it, but they're taking it and it shows how good their scouting has been because obviously their players get recognized even before they, they hit the field. So I think for them, that's, um, that's, that's a big one. Right. And, um, I'm pretty sure they, that's something that they're going to, that they're going to put on them and, uh, say, yeah, fantastic stuff. Filippo, uh, I know you are limited at time. So I want to go to this next topic before, before you have to run the, your take on the key line, Acosta story, um, got traded to from Colorado to LAFC. I know there's been some issues with his with his contract and he wanted a transfer to Europe. It's now not happening. And he actually went on social media to complain about it. Can, can you just uh, give us the latest on this? Yeah, so Kelna Costa, back in Nations League of last year, uh, when the US won, there were comments from him that he wanted to go abroad already. He saw the difference in level from certain players that were playing the top European leagues in Bundesliga, Premier League, Serie A. So I think he was probably referring to like Pulisic, Weston, Tyler Adams, and many others. So he said that he wanted to go abroad, and he has said it many other times. So it's a clear desire or ambition that he has. And what happened was he came out and he was traded right now to LAFC. I believe his contract expires at the end of this season. And that might have been one of the reasons why the Rapids traded him. Yeah, that's correct. And yes, and then and then Kelna Costa claimed on a tweet that he had offers to go abroad. He wanted to go abroad, but the Rapids chose to strike that deal with LAFC instead for whatever reason. Right. So so that's pretty much it. He wasn't ha- he wasn't happy about it. Obviously, he came out later and said, look, I still enjoyed my time at the Rapids. I love the I love the club and blah, 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 the franchise. And he's excited to play for LAFC as well. Probably one of the richest, if not the richest um, MLS clubs. However, um, you know, Kelna Costa wanted to go abroad and it didn't happen. The question is, were the offers good enough for the club, right? What were they offering and all that? So that's my take on it. Uh, the thing with Acosta too is he's 26, turning 27 this year. So how much value would he bring to an European club? Because it wouldn't be to develop, right? It's whatever he can do now, whatever he can bring to the table now is what he will probably offer. It's not like he's going to make a huge jump from his career at age 27. But anyhow, uh, Kellen Acosta seems like he's bound to just be an MLS player. Uh, he's makes a lot of money in MLS, by the way. I believe he makes something near to a million dollars a season, uh, just club salary. So I think that's Acosta's future. I think he's just stuck in MLS. It's unfortunate because he did have the dream to go abroad. But but then again, uh, I'll leave it to Josh. Yeah, I just, I just kind of want to put my two cents in it because this is how I understand the situation. And I feel like we see it all the time. Um, and and this is an example of two players. And I'm not 100% saying this is, this is accurate, but... I know Richie Larea had a, had a massive offer on the table. I believe he would have been the highest paid right back in the league, and he wanted to follow his dream, and he, he forced his way out in a way, in a respectful way, and joined Forrest. Now, from my understanding, Acosta re-signed with the Rapids. He had the opportunity to let his contract dwindle down. If he was so desperate to go to Europe, he could have potentially 
found a way to get there. He saw the money and he took it. So I don't have any real sympathy for him. I think that a lot of MLS players like to do this. They like to see the money that's right there because uh, it's available and he can make a lot of money, which he does. And on top of that, it's also, and this isn't, this isn't anything against Acosta um, or or any players. This is an in-league type thing, but a lot of the times because of all the shifting of money, you can make better deals dealing the player within the league than you can going overseas. So that obviously could have had something to do with it with the clubs as well. But from my, that was from my understanding. It's fully, I don't know if, 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 if I'm, if I'm right or, or yeah, not. I, I know I agree with you in that sense. The only question we got to ask ourselves is there's the agreement on paper and there's also the gentleman's agreement of every time you negotiate a contract. We don't know if maybe him and the Rapids agrees like, hey, I'll re-sign so you guys can make some money by selling me rather than me going for free. But if an offer shows up, will you please accept it? And then maybe the offer showed up, but the Rapids weren't happy about it. They preferred the LAFC one and they took that one instead. We don't know. So what you're saying is true because he could have also just not re-signed right? Mm. Uh, And then he would have been free to go wherever he wanted. But we don't know what goes on. At the same time, I want to back your argument, Josh, because the Rapids did just let Cole Bassett go to the Dutch League, to Feyenoord, and it was a pretty, it was a deal that doesn't benefit the Rapids that much, right? It's like an 18-month loan with an option to buy. So they were pretty flexible with sending a young player abroad, probably because of some agreement between them, a verbal agreement maybe, to facilitate, kind of like the James Sands to Rangers as well, Glasgow. So, yes, it's probably more on Acosta than anything. He had the opportunity to be a free agent. And if, if he was a free agent, I'm pretty sure Club Abroad would take him for free because the risk is just super low. Yeah, and that, and that was kind of my point was what, what they were, Cole Bassett was making compared to what Acosta was going to make. I think there's a big difference in which why they want to let that, that deal go. I think Acosta saw what was on the table and maybe just didn't have the ambition. But like you said, we don't 100% know. Maybe he got screwed over one way. But, I mean, he's making a crap load of money living in California playing for LAFC. I mean, it's not a it's not a bad life. It just, to me, lacks a little ambition. Yeah, maybe I, I just add my 50 cents to this. I think if you have something, um, an unwritten agreement is just that. It's not an agreement. Put an exit clause in it or whatever. Um, and then you have certainty in your contractual situation. That's what exit clauses are there for, right? And um, very easy to facilitate. Um, I have some thoughts on the Laria transfer too. I'm not actually sure going to the championship is actually a better move than staying in MLS, to be quite honest with you. I, I think the ambitions need to be higher if you want to improve as a country. Um, I see that same with, with DK, by the way. Um, I think that's players chasing money and thinking that going to championship actually will give you more attention than that. But um, let's go on and move on to Eustachio um, because that's that's actually one of the user questions. We're going to get to, to more user questions. Um, any user questions but the one about German food, I'm not going to answer that. I refuse. I'm sorry. Whoever put that in, not going to get it. Um, but the Eustachio transfer, Filippo, you want a quick word on that before we give Adrian the microphone because he's been quiet for a long time. Yeah, I, I'm not going to talk about his transfer. I know this Eustachio to Porto has been going on for a while and still hasn't happened. Maybe it will. I just want to say something before I go so I don't get portrayed by some Canadian men's national team fans. Fortunately, not you three, but some of the ones on Twitter and just around that I'm an Eustachio hater. 
I think Eustáquio is a great player. I also think he could most certainly play for a better club than Passos Ferreira, a mid-table club in Portugal this season. And I am 100% sure he would be in the U.S. men's national team roster. I'm not so sure he would start because the way I see Eustáquio too in Canada is I think John Herdman has found a way to get the best out of this player. So at times, and, and we know this, for short, extent, for short periods of time and with certain coaches, some players can perform, I wouldn't say ahead, but better than they actually can, ahead of their form, ahead of their limitations. Not saying he has limitations. So just to make that clear, I don't think Ostaki is a bad player. And bantering aside, I do think that the Canadian men's national team fan base, that is the player that they overrate the most. And overrated and crap is a different thing. I'm not saying he's crap. The same way the U.S. men's national team fan base, there's specific players that we overrate the most, right? That is the one I think they overrate the most, as any fan base does, right? Um, and I see Josh kind of like claiming there that Serginho Dest. I think, let me if, if I had to think, Josh, I want to hear from you. Do you think Dest is the one that we overrate the most? Yeah, I think last time we did a, net, a video together, we both said who we thought was the most overrated. You said Eustachio, and I said Dest. Now, I'm being very, very harsh on Dest just because I watch Barcelona a lot, and he's just, in my opinion, kind of fallen off a cliff. I mean, he just he needs to get a move out. It's not working. Playing him as a winger, to me, was hilarious because I just thought he was so poor. And then defensively, he's a liability. He just it didn't fit for him. And then on top of that, he got a huge market value deduction so it's just it's not good times for Des right now but doesn't mean I don't dislike Des I just think if you're gonna throw Eustachio in my face in terms of being overrated I'm gonna toss someone who I think is just having a miserable season and that's I don't think that's unfair I, I do think the one that no I do think at times Des especially because of the way he played this year but I, I do think sometimes from some USMNT fans that I've seen uh, and again, I think he has a very high ceiling, even though I think Augsburg paid for him. I think at times Pepe might be the one that the U.S. men's national team fan base you has overrated the most. the worst, Filippo? The absolute worst. It's the most over... Because I've seen comparisons... The most to over, to, overrated U.S. player is... Who? Pulisic. Pulisic? By far, yeah. Like, no. He is like Messi in you guys' eyes. And he's no. not... Well, he's our Messi, right? good player. Good player, but he yeah. is so overrated. It's we'll find shocking. Out. It's absolutely shocking. I. Um, it depends. Depends on who you ask. I don't. He's a very, I, very. I mean, like overrated is not the same as he's crap. Again, like to go use your words, but yeah, he's a good player, but he is not a world star. But I don't think I. I mean, obviously, you can get some U.S. men's national team fans to think he's world class. But the the general consensus is that Pulisic is not world class and likely won't be ever world class. You're not paying attention to your Twitter bubble. Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard people say that. I see people think that he should start for Chelsea. I don't think that's too crazy of a take. But uh, but I think world class. I don't. Th I I already said this. I only think there's one player in the U.S. men's national team right now that actually has world-class potential, and that's Giovanni Reina. Yeah, yeah. 100%. That's like the only one I truly believe can be world-class. Now, high quality, many of them. Weston McKinney has been fantastic. Tyler Adams is good. Pepe could be a very high-quality striker yeah. in the future. But world-class, the only one I put there right now is Gio Reina. If he stays healthy. If he stays healthy, unlike his dad, right, that was injured a lot. Claudio yeah. had injury issues. But guys, I got to go. Yeah. I'll let you guys finish up the podcast here. Thank you very much, Adrian, Josh, and everyone watching us. Guys, 
Also, don't forget to drop a review in the podcast. It helps us a lot. Or don't. I can't force you guys. This is a democracy. Five-star rating for the Canadians. One star for Filippo. Um. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. See you, Josh, Adrian. Yeah. All right. So hey, let Adrian, Adrian talk. Let Adrian talk. He hasn't talked yes, in a while. Yes, exactly. Adrian, um, I'm actually going to go straight to you because you are our Portugal expert. And I want to know from you what's Oystachio's transfer situation at the moment. Yeah, so one of our listeners, Dedo, asked about this transfer and just what is going on because as you guys sort of spoke about earlier, it's been, it feels like he's been eternally linked to FC Porto. And so this transfer window, um, you know, Pastos de Freira, they've been a little bit disappointing this season. I think they had higher hopes, you know, especially starting the season off with that win against Tottenham in the Conference League qualifiers. Um, but then, of course, we saw what happened after and they ultimately crashed out. And that sort of bad form just continued into the Portuguese league. Now, FC Porto, they recently sent Sergio Oliveira to AS Roma. So there's a spot in the midfield available, which a lot of people thought, hey, you know, they've been linked with Eustachio for so long. Oliveira's gone. There's an opening there. Now is the time for it to happen. But it's a very difficult transfer because Eustachio's rights are divided amongst Chaves, another club in Portugal, Passos Ferreira, and then Eustachio and his agent themselves. So when you have so many parties involved, the actual fee that the club that currently that he's currently at, Passos de Ferreira, the fee that they're going to be willing to accept has to be higher because they're, if they're only getting 50% of that transfer... It's, you know, they're, they're going to want it to be a substantial transfer, not the 3.5 that Porto recently apparently offered. And now Porto are apparently going to go back with a 4 million euro offer. So it sounds like the intent is there for them to sign Eustachio, which is something that I would love to see. And I think a lot of Canadian men's national team supporters would also love to see um, because this is a club that is consistently playing in Europe. They're consistently, you know, fighting for the title in Portugal, often winning it. Um, it would obviously break my heart a little bit because I would have to watch Eustachio, a Canadian player, go and represent our direct rivals, but that's okay. But it's it's going to take time for this one, and I don't think that Pastros de Ferreira are going to be willing to let him go for anything. I don't know. I think that it would have to be at least like a $5 million or something like that so they can get a 2.5 to sort of bolster their squad a little bit and sort of fill that hole because Eustachio has been one of their most consistent players throughout the season. He's one of the first players on the team sheet. Um, all of his appearances have been starts also. So that just goes to show his importance and how they view him there. So I think that it could be a great transfer for him. Uh, it could be a good transfer for FC Porto as well. And I would really like to see him in a setup, you know, surrounded with a little bit more talented players. You know, no shade on Passos de Ferreira, but the players that he would be playing alongside at Porto would be of a much higher caliber. And sometimes when you play amongst players of a higher caliber, it brings out the best in you as well. So I think that it could happen given that space in their midfield, but it's going to take some work given all the different parties involved. Yeah, we have a $5.5 million, Adrian. So you think that's probably around the, around the fee that um, Passos de Ferreira would ask for? I mean, since they've already turned down, allegedly, you know, this is going from a, a fairly reputable journalist in Portugal, Pedro Sepulveda. Um, apparently, they've already turned down 3.5 for a loan plus, you know, final transfer at the end of this season. Um, now, Porto are apparently going to go back with four. And I don't know that that would move the needle much. But I think somewhere in the five million region, I could potentially see that happening. That's just going off of a gut feeling um, because I, I can't see... Porto offering much more than that, which is 
too bad because, you know, I think that maybe Eustachio is worth more. I'm not sure what the transfer marks valuation of him is. You can fill us in on that. But I think that somewhere around, you know, five, six and Pastor yeah, it's five, Fereira, it's five, five million euros. Yeah. Well, there you go. Exactly. So I think somewhere in that region, um, maybe Pastor de Ferreira are, you know, just looking at his transfer marked page and refreshing and refreshing and hoping that Porto <laughs> will, uh, will hit them with at least the market value there. Um, and then I'm kind of curious too, what do you think his role would be at Porto when he goes there or if he goes there? As far as would he be a starter? Yeah. I think I think that maybe not immediately, but I think that he could definitely, this is the thing, is I feel like with the players that he has around him, he's doing well at Pastor de Ferreira, but with the players that he'd have around him at Porto, like I was saying, I think that we would get to see another level of Steven Eusakio. Um, and while I don't know that he would be a starter immediately, because there are some talented players ahead of him still, I mean, obviously letting go of Sergio Oliveira, a guy who was a mainstay in their midfield for so long, um, they obviously have some talent there in the midfield. So it would be very, very competitive for him. I think that he wouldn't be a starter immediately. But come next season, if he was to go this January, that is, come next season, once you get a preseason with them, I think that it would be, uh, I think that he would be a mainstay in that midfield and he would just continue on his current trajectory. Josh, how would you feel about a transfer to Porto? I'm all for it. I mean, I've always, I always stress when it comes to the national team, that one of those important things is playtime. And obviously at Paso de Ferreira, he's, he's starting, he's playing. It's just, you can kind of see, I don't, I don't really know how to say it because he's got such a weird, um, like ownership rights and, and the amount of money. Cause I, I heard that Paso's wanted up to like 7 million to try to cover and make a little bit of a profit off of him. Cause I feel like they deserve to make a profit off of him. So it's, it's a bunch of different things that are kind of making it hard to pull off a transfer. And it's why his partner in crime last year ended up moving, moving back to Porto. And he just kind of has been stuck there. And it, I don't want to say he looks like dejected or anything, but I think he is a better player than with no disrespect to Passos. And he, he needs to get a move. I would like to see him move abroad. We know that he was linked to Napoli for a little bit, and maybe he was thrown off because of this complicated situation. But to me, I kept saying, and you see it a lot, maybe just a loan move, a simple loan move. He says, listen, I, I want to move on. doesn't mean you have to sell me. Just give me the opportunity to impress. And maybe if he goes to Porto and he, the key thing is now, now he has to start because it is a much stronger side. Uh, I'm for it because I, I, I know that it, he may not play right away, but I still think if he doesn't get this move sooner rather than later, it, it may go by the wayside so I'm all for a loan move hopefully he does what he does and impresses and then is able to work out a deal and moves on to Porto and I think that's the level he needs to play at talented player in a, in a solid team Champions League football competing for the league and I'm happy I would like to move abroad but if he's going to stay in Portugal might as well be with one of the best I think this feeds into um, another question that we got from Mark Cavallo um, so I kind of want to move move this discussion on. Um, and he asked, I watched Tejan's Tejan Buchanan's first match with Bruges and noticed that the club were playing STVV had seven Japanese players. Apparently they're owned by a Japanese company. How would you feel about an American Canadian company buying a European club and stuffing with their own internationals? Um, I mean, I might have some news on that front soon. So I, I don't want to give away anything because I'm sworn to secrecy, but um, in fairness, Adrian, the Saputo family does own Bologna. And why are they not stuffing them with a bunch of Canadians? That's a really interesting question because it's something that I would have sort of expected when we saw that Joey Saputo and his partner were taking over Bologna over in Italy. But what that sort of relationship has 
I don't want to say devolved into, but what has sort of become is almost a partnership between Bologna and the impact, or sorry, Club de Foot, my bad, CF Montreal, uh, um, where, you know, you get a lot of players like Jim Aili, for example, who was at Bologna and then came over to the impact and went back to Bologna, I believe, and other players who have been associated with Bologna and then they just end up moving on to impact Ugh, Montreal I'm gonna say that over and over guys just let me say impact I'm just gonna say we're just impact. gonna call it the impact the executive decision yeah. they were idiots to change your name they had the impact <laughs> exactly so we all know who we're talking about here but yeah that's that's basically what has become it has in no way been sort of a, a testing ground or a way to provide opportunities at a high level elite league in Europe for Canadian talent instead it's been sort of used as you know players like Arnautovic is the next one that's been rumored going to Bologna and then and then going over to the impact eventually. So it's sort of become that sort of partnership to, in order to try and bolster the impact as opposed to bolstering the opportunities for Canadians abroad. What's your thoughts on that, Josh? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, the only thing I'd have to maybe say, which I, I do not know, is, I mean, just because, I I guess, Canadians invested in, in Gottbull and it doesn't mean that their goal is to uh, is to help the growth of Canadian, Canadian football. I mean, it, it'd be amazing. And I, I put that rumor out there when Alistair Johnson, because I thought that move was kind of strange that he went from Nashville to to Montreal. But maybe maybe that was a player that they would look to do. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with obviously not putting Bologna full of Canadians because who knows if that would fail. I mean, their, their goal is probably to make money. And if they take a chance and stuff it full of Canadians, maybe they're not quite at the level to survive in Syria. So it, my assumption is that they're, they invest in the club because... They, they want to, to make money. Again, this is a business. Bologna is in a very comfortable position. They'll probably be mid-table, maybe in the top half of the table. And that's a pretty successful Serie A club. Maybe their goal is to go for Europa League next year. And they want to blossom it with players that they think will bring it up. But if they want to integrate a little bit of Canadians, there's nothing wrong with doing that either because a couple of Canadians can definitely kind of seamlessly make that transition. So maybe that's where I, I put the Alistair Johnson link. Maybe they're going to test it with him. They found a deal to bring him over to Nashville. We know Alistair Johnson wants to go abroad, and, and why not propose that? Hey, come over, play in your home country, play in Canada, and we'll give you a direct route to Bologna, and you'll be the test because you're one of the most impactful players for the Canadian national team. You're, you had a great season at Nashville. Let's see if you can do it at Montreal again, and then we'll hopefully seamlessly move you and transition you into Bologna, and you'll be the first kind of test subject. But I don't think a smart business decision would be to put in a ton of Canadian players in Bologna because it may fail. And then if they get relegated, then what good is that to do anyone? Yeah. And the players have to be good enough too, right? That's that's the the big one. I, I know there is Canadian investors going into European teams. Um, it, it's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Italy is always an interesting one too um, because there's a lot of North American investment in that market anyways. Um, and so I think it's 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 kind of changing landscape. I want to add to that um, Atlanta United, for example, own a small stock in Aberdeen, right? And there was a transfer yesterday that was easily facilitated thanks to that. Um, with Ronald Hernandez going uh, on a full transfer from Aberdeen to Atlanta United. And Aberdeen recovering all of their initial, almost all of their initial investment. Um Take that with the grain of salt that you want to take with. Um, it's it's an interesting topic, I think, and it's, I think it's something that we will have some movement um, when we are able to when we are able to talk about. It, we'll talk about it, um, guys. There was another question, and because Josh, you kind of brought this up, um, they're a mid-table team 
We had OG Delicious ask us, why should fans of mid-table teams even care about the EPL and Bundesliga? This season is over already and it's only halfway. Something needs to change. Yeah, I agree. At the top of the table, something needs to change. But American fans have to remember there is something called rele- relegation. You know, when we just finish in the bottom of the half of the table, you are in threat of being relegated. And the Bundesliga, that's like six, seven teams right now. Um, and then, of course, you can also make the Europa League. You can make the Champions League. It's actually um, domestically, and there's been studies done on this, t- things like title races really only matter to American fans um, because they, uh, and don't take this the wrong way, uh, or North American fans, not just American, North American fans, because they're more superficially interested in the clubs. People who actually live in the community and grow up with their club, they're more realistic in the goals that their own clubs can achieve. So if you, for example, um, like me, an 1860 fan, I know that I'm probably never going to celebrate the German championship with my club. But there's other things that I want my club to achieve. This year is promotion to the second division, for example, right? And I want my club to do well enough to, to fight for that. So you do care for the entire season. If you're a fan of, let's say, Augsburg, you're fighting relegation. Um, if you support Union Berlin, it's the Europa League. And I think uh, maybe, you know, that's maybe because I grew up in, in a city and I grew up in, the, in that blue heart of Munich. Um, that's maybe why I have a little bit of a different perspective on it. So that's why I kind of want to hand it over to you and to you uh, guys, Adrian and Josh, because you, you guys did grow up in North America. But that's always like the one thing that I need to explain almost to North Americans is because like most people grow up with their club and they really only care about their own club and they only care about winning the title if the club has a realistic chance of winning the title. You're hitting a lot of points. I love talking about growing up in a North American. Like I I always say this, like my family does not know a thing about this sport. Not a thing. They couldn't, I don't even know if it wasn't for me, if they could have named a single team. My, I, I grew up and found the game all on my own. So naturally being, you know, North American and watching the best leagues in the world overseas i don't have a connection to any team so there the if i'm looking at north americans who cheer for norwich city augsburg bologna these would have happened probably through family connections i have some friends who um one's like an everton fan because his family actually grew up before coming over to canada if you're which the vast majority and i should i shouldn't maybe say that i don't 100 know but i'm assuming the vast majority of north americans don't probably have those ties so what do they do they follow teams that are at the top of the table and what do teams at the top of the table do like Chelsea United Bayern Dortmund they 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 win so that's kind of where that comes into play and it's interesting because what I'm following because I like to pick a team just you know from, from each league to try to support to make there's some interest in the league um they're usually the top teams because it's kind of hard to pick a, a team that's you know it doesn't really do much but if you're from that city and you have those connections and that's the overseas just like Manuel said, then you have a strong connection. There's a lot to fight for. The, the European places are obviously fun. There's cup competitions. Remember the one year that, uh, who was it? Um, there was one English team that made it to the final. They were a fourth tier team. They lost to Swansea in the final. There's all, there's the, there's so much fun stuff to t- keep an eye on throughout the season. Don't get relegated. See if you can finish. If you're a mid-table team, somewhat mid, mid-table, go for that, that fun European competition like Union Berlin just did this season, maybe a deep run in the cup, maybe a special player scored 15 goals. There's a lot of different aspects, but like what Manuel said, which is such a cool subject, when you grow up in North America, you're focused on on the top dog. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, you guys touched on some great things such as, and I think that, you know, Manuel bringing up how it's different in North America, because when your team is doing poorly, it's just a wasted season where you're seeing your team do poorly, but there's no real stakes involved because you can do poorly and you have no worries about getting relegated to a lower league and what that kind of impact can have on your club. So I think that these mid-table teams, like let's, you know, just looking at the Premier League table, for example, um, if you take, I don't know, an Everton who's having a terrible season right now, and you look at their season and what can these guys look forward to? Well, first of all, they need to ensure that they stay afloat and that they stay in the Premier League because getting relegated, you know, they haven't been relegated since what, the 50s or something like that? I can't remember the exact number, so don't quote me on that. But there's number one. Then there's number two that you can look forward to your local rivalry with Liverpool. You can look forward to maybe taking points off of the top team. So there's always something that you can hope to achieve. There's always, you know, while it may not be even a European place, if that's not in reach, it's you know staying afloat, taking points off the top teams and that kind of thing. So I think that that's where you can find some joy for the mid-table sides. It's not just if you're winning or not. Um, you can be a supporter of a mid-table side and still enjoy the season. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that is something that is very much lost. Um, the, the importance of a title race. And I have studies, and studies have shown this in Germany, for example, um, is is only really important for the Bundesliga to grow abroad internally. Mm, it doesn't really do that much because, you know, fans of clubs have worry about their own club. And I think that's that's an important one to to remember when you look at it, these markets. Um so yeah, that's I think that's it for questions this week. Um guys, thank you again for listening. Thank you for all these great questions. There's many more and we'll do this more regularly. I think it's a it's a fun thing to to do and a fun thing to answer and a fun thing to ponder about as well. So yeah, keep them coming. Um yeah, that's it for us. We'll be back next week. Until then, cheers and bye-bye. <laughs>